As you make your way back to your seats, uh, welcome again. Uh, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And uh, we're in a short little series uh, called Family Foundations. And we felt like this would be, you know, we're not going to cover the whole breadth of family-related issues, but I think there's things that we felt would be helpful to, to us uh, as good reminders. And for some of us, maybe this is the first time we've even thought about these things. Last week, Eric did a great job on mercy on display. And, and a lot of times we don't think about, you know, extending a lot of mercy in our homes the way we should and, and also forgiveness. And so this week, we're going to be talking about parenting with grace. And um, I'd like to start off with kind of opening up with a story that came from this book that I, I would recommend, Give Them Grace, Dazzling Your Kids with the Love of Jesus by uh, Elise Fitzpatrick and Jessica Thompson. Really, 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 really very good book. I mean, one of my favorite on these kind of topics. So I'll read you an opening story from that. Mom and her three children were all seated on the floor in the brightly colored playroom. It was time for their Bible game. Two of the three children loved the game because they usually got all the answers right. But one, Jordan, the middle child, was uh, sullen and disruptive. Who wants to draw the first card, Mom asked. Two hands shot up simultaneously. I do, I do, they both chimed in. Okay, Joshua, you go first. Joshua picked a card from the pile and read, tell the story of Jonah in your own words and then talk about what the story means to you. Jonah then proceeded, Joshua then proceeded to talk about Jonah's being commanded to serve God by being, uh, but being disobedient. So instead, he got swallowed by a whale. Afterward, the whale vomited him onto the ground, and the three boys chuckled when they heard that. And then Jonah obeyed. Good job, Joshua. Now, what does this story teach you? Mom asked. Caleb's hand was the first one up. It means that we should obey when God tells us to do something, like go tell people about God. Right, Caleb. Now, can you think of some ways that we can tell people about God? Different answers were shouted out. We could make cookies and take them to our neighbors and invite them to church, or we could offer to do chores for them too. Yes, Mom said, that's exactly right. Now, Jordan, can you tell me what you could do to obey God? Jordan stammered in with a weak, um, I, I don't know. Can't you think of anything at all? Becoming more defiant, Jordan shouted, no, and I don't want to. But Jordan, you don't want to get swallowed up by a whale, do you? God tells us to serve our neighbors and tell them about him. If you can't be good, then you won't get any goldfish crackers or blue jello that I've made. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but I've had too many of those devotional times with my own family growing up. Sadly, many of us can probably relate to Bible study being something like that with our kids. And we all often forget that our primary responsibility as parents is not so much to teach them to obey and do good, but to understand the good work that Jesus Christ did for us and to, and to realize that the only obedience that's really going to count is their understanding of what Jesus did for us and dying on the cross. I think that's what we're going to be looking at in terms of parenting by grace. So if you'll uh, look with me at the big idea for our message today, it's this salvation and transformed lives only come through the grace of Jesus Christ. 
So when we think about a responsibility and a role that we play as parents in seeking to shape and mold the lives of our kids, we need to understand and we need to remember that salvation and transformation comes through the grace of Jesus Christ. So let's pray together. Lord, these things that we're going to be looking at today are, are much broader than how we parent, actually how we interact with one another. And uh, Lord, we easily default to a whole different way of thinking about our Christian life. We, we work on moralisms. We work on trying self-help. We work on trying to look good and to be good. And yet, Lord, your gospel has shown us that we are not good in and of ourselves. And we always will miss the mark. But because of Jesus, we have forgiveness of our sins. And we also have a way to be transformed, and that's through the same grace. So, Lord, would you help me to communicate your truth clearly? Would you transform our minds and, and remind us, Lord, of things that are, are really true and, and, and really have power? And Lord, would you help me in communicating clearly in this time uh, as I seek to really be a servant to, to these people? And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm taking a text from, uh, from Titus because I think it really helps, is going to help us to understand uh, again, like I said, broader than just how to parent. But this whole understanding of how grace is so central to our Christian life. And so um, our first point here is grace for motivation. And I want to look at this text for these three points that we're going to have today. So as we read this, I'm going to be picking certain portions throughout our time. But let me, let me go ahead and read it first. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." Now, we're going to be talking about the motivation, how, how, how grace is really the motivator in as we train our kids. And we're going to be talking about as we interact with one another, how grace is really the primary motivator that we should be thinking about. But um, this, when you look at this section here, you'll see it starts off with four. And normally when you see four or because or something like that, you've got to go back and look at the section before that. And I won't take a lot of the time, but basically the Apostle Paul is, is speaking to older women, older men, younger women, younger women, younger men about how they should live their lives. And he even speaks to slaves at that point. And he's about ready. He's, he's just told them some of their duties and the way that they're to, to operate their lives. And then he sidetracks or goes back to give them a doctrinal understanding of how and why they can do that. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote most of his letters, most of the things we read from him, he lays out a foundation of doctrine first, and he says, in light of all these things, all these truths, 
Now this is how you're supposed to live your life. In Titus, he actually flips that and he says, he starts telling them, do this, do this, don't do that, and do this, and do this. Oh yeah, and because, and then he gives them the foundation. So this is the foundation that you and I should be thinking about when we think about our salvation and we think about how we change. In other words, how our kids change. How will they be changed? Well, if they don't get this, and if we don't get this, and we don't think about this, and we don't articulate this, then trying to change people's lives is really a futile attempt. And so grace is a motivation. I don't know about you, but you know, motivations can kind of be sidetracked or, or hijacked by other things. Like many of us you know, move to, to motivate our kids, we'll move to bargaining. Hey, if you can get this done, then I'll give you this. If you can do this, you can have more computer time, you know. Or we do the opposite, kind of the, the, the carrot or the stick. Like, if you don't get this done, then I'm taking away this and this and this. And so our motivations frequently are the things that we bargain, we threaten, uh, rewarding. And that's how most of us will default if we don't really realize that grace is the means by which people will be moved and be changed in the inside, at the heart level. And so, in our section here, the grace for motivation, it says here in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. But notice the, the highlighted plate part here, the grace of God has appeared. You know, the grace has been available to, to the world long before Jesus came. But when the writer of, of, of Titus, when Paul thought about it, he said, really, if you were to take what is really grace about, he said, it's really about, it was represented and it was demonstrated most powerfully in the life of Jesus Christ. And so he actually kind of personified grace and made it, this is who Jesus is. He is grace for you. He is grace in your presence. He is grace in what he has provided for you. And it says that that came at his appearing. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-control, upright and godly lives. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great and God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's actually two appearings of Jesus here. What is going to motivate you, what's going to motivate your kids is going to be the appearance of Jesus the first time and what he did. And the appearance of Jesus, thank you. My daughter knows that I need water when I get this dry, dry mouth. Thank you, Christy. So the second appearing of Jesus is also another another. Uh, giving of grace to us. In fact, uh, the Apostle John, when he talked about the return of Jesus Christ, he says, look, everyone who has their hope fixed on this return purifies himself just as he is pure. There is so much promise that comes in the second coming of Jesus Christ and how we're going to be joined with him and how there's never going to be any more temptation anymore and, and how we're going to be rewarded and how we're going to be in the presence of, of a holy God and how we're going to be 
released from all the struggles of our life. And we're going to be healed and we're going to have new bodies and all these things. And so there's a future inheritance hope that we're looking for in the second appearing. But in the first appearing, that's what brought us salvation. That's what brought us the power to live our Christian lives. It was the appearing of Jesus the first time. And we have our gospel for that, our good news for that. And the appearance of Jesus as we're anticipating that even now. Again, this, this picture of grace being Jesus, I, I think of the apostle uh, John writing in, first, in John chapter 1, verses 14 and 17. It says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so when you think of grace, really our primary thought should go to Jesus is providing something for me. Jesus is giving something. He's earned something for me. He's sharing that with me. He's, 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 he's providing all that we need. Next slide. Sometimes, this, is, this came from uh, the Gospel Coalition, Sometimes we, we wrongly think of grace as a spiritual substance that God stores and piles behind his heavenly throne and dispenses to his people below. In other words, grace is stuff that God gives apart from himself. But grace is not a thing. It's not stuff that God gives us apart from himself. He doesn't run out of it. God gives us himself when we don't deserve it. This is grace. The often repeated definition of grace is an undeserved gift is right, but doesn't go far enough when referring to the grace of God. Grace is a gift, but God is not only the giver, he himself is the gift. God graces us with himself. This is pretty core, pretty central to what we need to remember. God is the one who dispenses the grace and having him and knowing him and looking to him is the means by which we are saved and we are changed. We are transformed. If you need grace for wisdom, it's God. If you need provision, it's God who's providing. If you need strength in your moments, God is supplying the grace himself from himself power from the, by the Holy Spirit to you. If you need patience, if you need comfort, grace is whatever basically you and I are gonna need in this life to live this life, and that grace is wrapped up and provided by your knowledge, your relationship, your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to give one another. That's what we need to point one another to. Not some nebulous thing out there of grace. You are pointing one another to the person of Jesus Christ and all he is to you and all he promised to you. And that is our message to one another and especially our message to our children. Here's a definition of grace. Next slide. There we go. The unmerited gift of God's favor in salvation of sinners 
and the divine influence operating in individuals for their regeneration or new birth and sanctification. It's an unmerited favor. It, it means that you don't have to pay for this in any way. You don't have to earn this by your behavior. You don't have to earn this, you know, uh, by having your time in the Bible or attending a meeting or giving money or doing good things. Because God has designed grace to highlight who he is and to bring him honor and glory. So he gets glory even when you are unfaithful. He gets, he gets praise, sometimes especially when you're in sin, and he gives you grace. It's unmerited gift of God's favor in your salvation because you will never be able to earn salvation and your children will not earn salvation and your efforts to transform their lives will not earn them salvation. Salvation is a gift of God extended graciously to unworthy people. And it's this divine grace, this influence that operates in our lives for our new birth as well as our sanctification. So the big idea for our time is this. Salvation and transformed lives only come through the grace of Jesus Christ. That's how, that's how you're gonna be, they're going to be saved. That's how, gonna, that's how they're going to change. So let's look at a second piece here, grace for salvation, because we've mentioned that. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And it goes on talking about the next section we'll get to. Go down to verse 13. Waiting for a blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. You see here, it's grace that brought you salvation. It's grace because Jesus Christ, God's son, perfectly lived a, a, a perfect life, always obeying, always doing his father's will, offered himself as a substitute for our sin, died on a cross, was raised three days later and ascended to heaven. And he's coming back. That message, that truth, has the power for salvation. That message is core to not only your salvation and your kid's salvation, that message is central to becoming and being transformed as a follower of Jesus Christ. This next slide says this. This was from Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. He said this. He said, the central focus of parenting is the gospel. You need to direct not simply the behavior of your children, but the attitudes of their hearts. Your children desperately need to understand not only the external what they did wrong, but also the internal why they sin and how to recognize internal change. Therefore, your parenting goal is not simply to be well-behaved children. I remember that uh, when we kind of came across um, Shepherding a Child's Heart, which is Ted Tripp's book, and we realized that all the years that we had spent 
trying to raise our kids and trying to make them good kids. Uh, it was a couple day conference and Wendy had been at it and she said that she, when she realized that she was just trying to make her kids good rather than sharing the gospel with them, she pulled off to the side of the road and just wept and just wept because so much of her efforts and energies had been spent trying to transform their kids through rules and regulations and, and laws and <laughs> coaxing and challenging and so forth. And I think we realized the only tool in our toolbox that's going to make a difference is the gospel for their salvation and for them to be motivated to be tra- and to be transformed within. It won't be adding more and more law to them. It won't be that. And this message is, is simple, but it's not articulated enough. It's a simple message, but it should be, it should have fresh insights. It should have fresh, it, it should be freshly stimulating to you and to your kids as you share it with them. Not just kind of winging it all the time, but always looking for ways to adorn and to communicate the gospel in a way that captures their attention. I think it was Ted Tripp that said, you know, our job as parents is to dazzle our kids with the person of Jesus Christ and the, and the gospel. We should be looking for and praying for an inspiration in our soul so that when we talk about this gospel and this Jesus Christ, our hearts are on fire many times. And our kids will see that and they will be drawn to that as well. Elise Fitzpatrick and Jessica Thompson in their book said, even though our children cannot and will not obey God's law, we need to teach it to them again and again. And when they tell us they can't love God or others in this way, we are not to argue with them. We're to agree with them and tell them that that's why they need a savior. You don't bargain with them. You don't need to lower the standards so that, you know, we need to just unveil it says, and this is exactly why we can't do this life the right way on our own. We need, we need the gospel. We need Jesus Christ in order to live this life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one, no one may boast. So, we're saved by grace through faith. Again, not moralism, not trying to make them good, not trying to make them obey. Perhaps we're just making them little Pharisees. People who, who think that they're doing pretty good, think that they've, they've lived a pretty good life. Why would, they, why would they need a savior? Because, you know, they're a pretty good kid. But the reality is, we're saved by faith, through, by grace through faith. And we need to be about gossiping the gospel, talking about these things. Romans 10 says, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
You know, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And it's them hearing this gospel truth, hearing about Jesus, hearing about their need for Christ, hearing how their works are never going to be good enough in order to satisfy this holy God and how God in his kindness has given us his son. How are they going to know this unless someone's telling them? And men and women, don't, don't, do understand that we as a church family, we want to come alongside you. Even when we do our child dedications, we say, you know, as a church family, work, we want to work with you. We want to come alongside you to, to, in your desire for your kids to be saved and to be transformed. But, and, we need to be doing this in our home. We need to be talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be talking about how that transforms our lives and how it has transformed our life. We need to sh share with one another regularly because you and I might think, um, you and I might think that, you know, they, they've heard it. They've heard the gospel. They prayed some prayer like five years ago, but they're not really changing. There's nothing new, you know, that demonstrates a life of Christ in them. But we take comfort, you know, that they prayed a prayer or they were a little bit excited or they seemed to enjoy singing or something like that. But instead, we need to minister this truth, not only for their salvation, but also for their transformation. And that's because 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We're not neutral territory here. Um, the Bible says that you have an enemy and your kids have an enemy and they're, he's trying to keep us all from seeing the gospel. And so they have heard it and they will hear it. But we need to be about sharing it regularly because the, the eyes, their, their eyes don't see the gospel, it says. They're not going to learn this from the world. They're not going to learn the gospel from the world. The culture of this world will, will only be towards, at best, moralism, but that's deadly, and not to faith in Jesus Christ. And our flesh always wants to self-justify. All of us want to kind of make ourselves good enough in God's eyes. And so we have an enemy. And as I said in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's through your prayers. It's through your faithful sharing of these things that makes a difference. So we've talked about grace as a motivation. We've talked about grace for salvation. And thirdly, I want to talk about grace for sanctification. Grace for sanctification. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, and look what grace does, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the, great, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it says that grace, when we, when we hear the gospel, when we hear about Jesus Christ, and the more we learn and more that we understand these things, this actually, you know, that grace that saves us actually now becomes our teacher. That grace, it says here, trains us 
to say no to some things, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So if you see struggles in your own kids or struggles in your own life, it's this message of Christ which actually motivates you to say no to certain things, ungodly things. And also this same grace of Jesus Christ actually trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, again, step back and think about that. Is that what I'm talking about with my kids when they have struggles with patience? Is that what I'm talking with my kids about when they have struggles with various lusts that they have, various idols that they just can't seem to let go of? Have I, have I used the most powerful tool and in one sense the only tool that I've got to really see them saved and them changed. Again, going back to uh, the book Give Them Grace by Fitzpatrick and Thompson says this, when we change the story of the Bible from the gospel of grace to a book of moralistic teachings like Aesop's fables, all sorts of things go wrong. Unbelieving children are encouraged to display the fruit of the Holy Spirit even though they are spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. So I want to go back to the opening story that we had, and I wanted to read from this book. It says, you remember the game we described in the beginning of the chapter? The idea for it came from mormonchick.com a website is written by Mormons to Mormons. If a Mormon can play a game exactly the same the way that you do, it isn't a Christian game. It's a morality game. And we aren't moralists, we're Christians. If a Mormon can, parent can, uh, can parent the same way you do, then parenting isn't Christian. Now, how would that game have been different if we remembered that every story is about God's grace through Jesus Christ and the gospel? After Joshua recited the bare facts of the story, his mother would have drawn out the story's real meaning. The story of Jonah isn't about learning to be obedient or facing the consequences. The story of Jonah is about how God is merciful to both the religiously self-righteous, unloving person and the irreligious, violent pagan. The story is about God's ability to save souls and even to and use us even when we disobey. It's a story about God's mercy, not about our obedience. Here's how the conversation would differ if we were living, if we were giving the gospel instead of the law. Good job, Joshua. Now, what does this story teach us, Mom asked. Caleb's hand went up as the first time. It seems that we should obey when God tells us to do something, like go tell people about God. Yes, Caleb, we are to obey God, but that's not the primary message of the story. Can you think of another message? Jordan piped up, lots of times people don't want to obey God. Right, Jordan, that's exactly right. I know that it's hard for me to obey. I'm just like Jonah too. Can you think of any other passive message? No? Then let me help you. This story is a message about how kind and merciful God is. He was kind to bad people from Nineveh because he didn't destroy them even though they deserved it. He was kind to them by making them believe the message that Jonah told them. 
But he was also kind to Jonah. Even though Jonah didn't love his neighbors, the people of Nineveh, God didn't leave him to die in the belly of a big fish, although that is what he deserved. Instead, he gave him another chance and kept, him, kept giving him chances, even though Jonah didn't really love God or his merciful nature. God gives us so many opportunities to obey him because he loves us and is so merciful. God shows us how much he loves us because his dear son Jesus spent three days in a very dark place just like Jonah did. He spent three days in a grave after dying for our sins. But then he rose again from the dead so that we would be good in God's eyes and tell other people about how loving he is. Can you think of some other things that we might do so that other people might know how much God loves us? And different answers came out from that. See the difference? The message of our Bible is not about making us morally uh, right in our, in our actions. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of a rescue. It's a gospel story that if we get it right and we understand it, because of the grace of God, we'll be saved. And because of that grace, we'll also be transformed. You know, moralism is just one way I think that we get grace wrong. Uh, I think that we don't have a good understanding of grace. So I just want to talk briefly about five misconceptions about grace. Things that people want to hear. You know, people say things about grace, they seem to just kind of get it wrong. So I just want to talk about briefly five misconceptions. Uh, the first one is this. Grace is permission to sin. Sometimes we think that, you know, because God forgives us, then it doesn't matter. We could just go ahead and sin. But it's the power, grace is the power to overcome sin. We'd find that from Romans 6. Secondly, grace fills in the gaps. You know, you've heard, do your best and God will do the rest. But Jesus said in, in John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, he says, look, apart from me, you can do nothing. God's standard is so much higher than we would even imagine. Third way we misunderstand grace is, is that we would think that grace means letting up on God's standards. You know, the law was already taken care of. And so, you know, the standard, of, the standard is, you know, doesn't have to be so high anymore because we don't have to reach that standard. But actually, you know, because Christ fulfilled the law, he's actually empowered us to go beyond, in one sense, God's high standards that he had already laid out. Or the misconception, number four, grace opposes effort. Uh, you know, that, you know, we think, well, I don't want to live by works. I don't want to live by the law, so I don't have to really keep any commandments. I don't need to do anything. You know, I can just live by grace, you know. But that's not what grace is all about. You know, God is not a, opposed to, to effort. He's opposed to you thinking that you can earn your salvation. And Philippians chapter 2 says that we're to work out our salvation in fear and trembling because God is at work in us both to give us the desire and the, and the energy and the power to do his will. And then lastly, grace is only for godly people, but that's not true. God's uh, redeeming ungodly people all the time, and we saw that in Nineveh as well. So how do we think about, you know, revamping the whole way we think about motivating each other, helping each other, instructing our kids? How do we, how do we rethink those things? And I, 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 
I know that that's not an easy task because, like I said, maybe, maybe this is how your parents taught you, how they raised you. Uh, maybe this is just a default that you think, you know, this is the way it, I, I should, I want my kids to be good. You know, I don't want them to get in trouble and so forth. How do we, how do we think about the gospel as it relates to motivations? And I just want to take just briefly one topic from, uh, from a book here, from the book. And I want to talk through how we think about training with grace. The first thing is management and oversight. You know, um, I think that it's true that we need to tell and teach our kids what's right and wrong. You know, we need to give them direction, um, instruction on daily living. And so let's take the idea of, of my kids disobeying me. We're going to use that. So disobeying me, you know, right now you need to do what I'm asking. Please stop what you're doing right now and do what I've told you. So children, obey your parents for this is right. You know, there's a right and wrong we need to teach our kids. And especially in the younger years, we need to teach the right and wrongs because that's, 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 uh, that's good management and oversight of our kids. Secondly, gospel nurturing, feeding their soul with grace. Again, on the disobeying thing, I can see that you want to do your own thing right now. I can see that what I've asked you to do is, is not important to you. I understand you want your own way, but Christ will give you grace to help you obey even though you don't want to. Even, even understanding obeying might be hard. So, you know, you want to come alongside and say, look, you know, there is grace for you and you need to call out to God for that. I, I remember when Christy was, uh, my oldest daughter was, was, training her kids. It wasn't unusual. I hope they don't mind. I, didn't, I won't list any names. It wasn't unusual to say, I can't. You know, they're telling them, you know, you need to clean up their house or you need to do your jobs or things like, I can't, I can't. You know, and it's like, call out to God. <laughs> Ask God to help you. And they're like, please, God, help me. to do this. You know? She would... Even before they were saved, you know, she was telling them, call out to God. Ask God for help. Um, let them know that Jesus has been tempted in all things. He understands the struggle you're in. He, was, he, was, he had his limitations as well. And, and he had to look to God, the Father, you know, for, for provision and grace. You know, call out to God. Um, gospel training... Um, tell them what Jesus has done. Jesus obeyed the most difficult circumstances because he loves you. Not because, now, because he obeyed perfectly, you can ask him to help you obey. He understands what it's like to, to have to do something difficult. And I kind of covered that in my last one too. Gospel correction. When you disobey, you're saying that what you want to do is more important than any, anything else. You've forgotten the most important thing of all. Jesus Christ was obedient to death and the joy that was set before him. Do you know what joy, that joy was? The joy that was set before him was, was you, was redeeming you. Please see and know his love. His obedience is the most beautiful, important, satisfying thing in the world. As you lift your eyes to his obedience, you'll be able to obey. And so you're just, in the moment, you're drawing your attention to various aspects of how Jesus lived his life and how the effects of the gospel is, is benefiting him now. And you say, well, my, Christ, my kid isn't a Christian. So again, we talked about how that 
that in itself gives an opportunity to share the gospel one more time. I can see how you think that the only thing that will make you happy is to do what you want to do. Living for yourself and what you want will never satisfy you. For the rest of your life, you'll be called to obey authority. If you don't learn this now, it'll be hard for you for your entire life. And please know that there will be a day when you will obey God and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And on that day, it'll be too late. You won't have another opportunity. You won't have another chance. So do you see why you need a Savior? Do you see why you need Jesus Christ, you know, to help you in this way? And if they are a Christian, do you know that you have Christ's perfect record of always obeying? You don't want to obey. Your heart is actually a set to disobey me. You even know that you should obey, and you've decided that what you want is more important than what God has called you to do. But here's the good news. Jesus always obeyed his parents. Can you imagine what it'd be like to be Jesus and have parents that, that are wrong and you have to obey them? Can you imagine what it'd be like to be under authorities who are, who are wanting to hurt you and kill you and betray you and turn on you and, and yet you're submitting to them because you're obeying God? Jesus can understand that. He can sympathize with that. And yet he lived the perfect example and he lived that out. So why don't we ask God for that help, even now, for that power for that. You know, salvation and transformed lives come only through the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, this, this, is, this is our opportunity to serve one another, to help one another, whether it's our children how we talk to each other in the household. I remember, you know, about that time that we were talking about shepherding a child's heart. We, we were given a lot of good resources, just how to think about life and our Christian life from a gospel orientation. And think about it. How does, how does Jesus' life and his death and all these things relate to my life? And we were talking about that in our small groups, but Lee said, let's, let's bring that into our household. Let's, let's let this affect not only how a parent talks to a child, but how a, how a brother talks to a sister and a sister to a brother and a child to a parent. And let's all kind of commit ourselves to keeping the gospel and keeping the grace of Jesus Christ central to who we are as, as a family. And it was, it, was, it was transformative. It was amazing that my kids, you know, like were like best friends, <laughs> you know, and became very, very close to one another and would take each other gently aside and point them to Jesus Christ and help them in their struggles and encourage them with gospel truth. And it's easy to drift away from that. And it's very easy for me to default to using threats or, or bargaining chips or taking things away. And instead of seeing that, that God has provided for us this means of grace for our salvation as well as for our growth in Christ. If I could have the worship team come at this time. We're going to prepare to take our communion because, you know, a lot of times when you hear a message like this, maybe you think, man, I've really been blowing it. <laughs> I have really, really, really blown it. I, I, 
you know, I, I, again, I think about my wife and how she just pulled off the side of the road and just, my dear wife just wept. She just wept over the, of, of what had come out of her mouth. And I can just hear my own words of, of darts and horrendous things that I said to my kids to try and, in my anger and my frustration. But if you're like that, if you're like, like that, you feel like, I'm devastated. I've, I've, I've done such a bad job. I was, I was thinking about this own, this week for myself. We've been going through Gentle and Lowly, the book in our small group. And Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says this about Jesus. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. In other words, that shame you feel, that regret you feel, that devastation you might feel of how you've fallen short, he's able to save you from, to the uttermost. In other words, his redeeming, restoring touch reaches down into the darkest words, crevices, things that you've ever said or done in your souls, those places that we're most ashamed about and most defeated in, those places where you're most ashamed, his heart willingly and longingly runs to you. He, he's actually, you know, he longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to show compassion on you. And this moment, if you think, man, I mean, I remember a time I told my daughter after she spilled milk when I was trying to have a devotional time during the thing, I remember saying to her, and I think I've shared this before, and she knows I share this. Who would want to marry you? <laughs> Can't even be quiet during devotional time, you know, spilling milk and doing things when you're supposed to be paying attention and stuff like that. And I went out there, <laughs> that room and the Lord, I got on my knees in my bedroom and the verse from Psalm 103 came to my mind and said, as a father has compassion on you, on his children, so I will have compassion on you. And I went out and did my, as I always had to do, my, my regular apologies. And my daughter is amazing. She's very forgiving. But I know that you and I, you're probably more like me than, than, you, than, than I know. I don't know your things, but there's shameful things that I've said. There's horrible things that I've said and done that I really regret. And Jesus knows all those things. And he's able to save you to the uttermost. He, he goes into those places of shame and, and discouragement and frustration and failings. He goes into that spot and he is so eager even now. He's not like, ah, put up with that because I forgave him at the cross. No, he's He's racing to that spot, that, that sense of shame. He says, you know what? I covered that. I saw that, and I, I paid for that. He's drawn to you in those moments of shame. And it says that he intercedes. Interceding means he's mediating between two parties. He's mediating between a holy God and your issue, your sin, but he steps over the line to be your advocate, to take your side, and he is pleading his own blood 
Father, that was horrible what Greg did. That was ugly what he said. That, was, that could have been devastating to that girl, that little girl. But I paid for that on the cross. I paid for that on the cross. Men and women, he has washed, if you're in Christ, if you've put your trust in him, he has washed you as white as snow. And that's what we get to remember when we have communion together. We get to go back and, and kind of do a reflect, not a digging deep in, looking for stuff. But if there's something there that you feel like that was wrong, that was shameful, I'm being disobedient, I'm failing, I'm falling short. In these moments, let's take a moment and, and get that right and acknowledge it to God. And then as we take the, the elements here in a few moments, we could remember this is what he paid for us. This is how he redeemed us. This is how he purchased us. So take a moment and do business. If there's something in your mind, in your heart, in your conscience that you know that you haven't confessed, acknowledge it to him. So, Lord, what can we say? You know us. And this is the, the hard thing about grace is because we'd like to kind of do something to pay you back, but that's why grace is amazing. Thank you for your, your body that was given for us. Thank you, you chose the way of the cross and you died for us on that cross. So we take this bread and remember that you gave your body for us. And your word says, Lord, that there's no, unless there's shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And we were not purchased with any lamb or bull. We were purchased by the Holy Son of God, the Lamb of God who took away our sins. So thank you, Lord, that through your blood, we're as white as snow today. And we thank you for that. Let's stand and sing together.